Isaiah chapter 12. I love that we started our service by singing my favorite Christmas carol. I almost said Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. I love that song. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Every week at Advent, we light uh, light another candle. The first week, which we missed because we were at home, was hope. Last week, we lit the peace candle, and Pastor Royce brought us an encouraging message about God's peace on this earth. And this week, we light the third candle. Sometimes it's called the shepherd's candle, and there's good reason for that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But it's a symbol of joy. A joy that comes into the world through the coming of Christ. I'm reminded of that famous Christmas passage we'll read in a couple weeks from Luke chapter 2. When the shepherds were out in the fields and they were keeping watch over their flocks. And it says, and there were shepherds living in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause, and catch this, great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. That night, the shepherds were surprised by joy. I'm sure they got up that night just like they do every night and took their sheep into the fields and they were caring for them and were resting and probably trying to settle in for a nice sleep. And they were surprised by the angel's announcement of something that indeed not just brought them great joy, but was joy for the whole world. We see the shepherds could not contain that joy and they went out and told everyone that Christmas Eve night about the coming of the Messiah. And that was a day of joy. So what do we mean by joy when we talk about this word, J-O-Y? Maybe this Christmas season you're not feeling so much like joy, but maybe you are. The other day, I was just enjoying the day and seeing the decorations and hearing the Christmas music that was playing, and our house is really decorated, and there's Christmas trees and greenery and, and little nativity scenes and all sorts of festive things, and, and I hear about my mom baking in the, other, in the other apartment, and I know what my wife is planning, and I feel a little bit of joy in my heart. I'm excited. Things just feel right in my world. And that could be one way of thinking about joy. And maybe you feel that way. You go out shopping and you're thinking about what you're going to do for Christmas and and you feel like just things are right in the world. Is that joy? Maybe we could call it joy. It's a kind of joy. It's certainly when things are good, we feel a, a type of contentment. But there's also, I think, a deeper sense of joy. Joy that isn't just based on our circumstances. It isn't just when things are going well. Maybe there's something a little bit deeper. There's an intensity to joy that I think sometimes can only be seen in one who just had their bad situation radically turned, unexpectedly reversed. 
I've been thinking about this a lot this week and thinking of different examples and looking at pictures online of soldiers being released from POW camps in World War II. This week was in America, we celebrate Pearl Harbor Day, remembering the, the, the death of so many civilians and soldiers at Pearl Harbor. And so we think about World War II and going back and looking at some of those pictures of soldiers being released from their POW camps. And it's amazing to me to see that as they are, are stripped pretty much naked and their ribs are showing and they're bony men, these are strong, young, athletic guys that now have been in POW camps for years and their bones are protruding, but there's something unmistakable about their faces and that they're beaming with joy. They were just in a horrible situation. They looked like they were probably going to even die. And some of those POWs assumed, because it did happen, that as soon as the war was over, they were going to be executed. And yet they weren't executed. They were released from prison. And the joy was beaming on their faces. Or seeing pictures of the Jews being released from the Holocaust camps where they were being killed and when the soldiers came, despite their disease-ridden bodies, despite their depravity of, of, of health, the joy that was on their faces as they were being relieved. I read this week about a man who was released from prison after 43 years for a crime he did not commit. He was accused falsely. And for 43 years, he rotted away in a prison cell knowing that he was innocent. And then one day, the woman who accused him came forward, and after a whole lengthy court proceeding to prove that indeed she was telling the truth, now, finally, he was let go. Can you imagine your joy after being locked up for 43 years for something you did not do and finally find yourself relieved? I think that would be a kind of joy that would be probably seeping out of your eyes. Or we hear the news of what happened in Kentucky this week as massive tornadoes came through the west side of that state. The longest run of tornadoes, I think, in recorded history. And I would hit two factories, a candle factory in which they were working around the clock and, and an Amazon distribution center and the devastation of those towns in western Kentucky. And I saw the story of a woman who was trapped in the, in the metal, twisted metal. And she could hear the cries and the screams around her and she was pinned and trapped under five feet of debris. Imagine the joy she felt as those rescuers pulled those pieces of metal off of her and she was able to stand up and walk out. Imagine the relief of their family who wonder, is she dead or is she alive? And she gets to run back to her family and throw their arms around her. This is going to be a Christmas that they will not forget. And there's going to be a joy that's going to far supersede whatever presents she does or doesn't receive this Christmas. Or maybe the news of a, a cancer diagnosis that was deemed fatal. But now you get the news that it's in remission and it's clear. I think we understand the difference of feeling between just that walking down the street and hearing chestnuts roasting over an open fire and feeling good and the deep relief and the joy that comes with finding our horrible situation has been overturned. There's the same reason for joy, and that is a goodness, a general goodness about our life that we get to enjoy, but the circumstances 
intensify the feeling. The reason for the good feelings is the same, whether I'm just walking down the street without a care in the world, just enjoying life, or whether I've just been freed from a terrible diagnosis and now I'm free. The same reason is there, a general goodness of my situation, but the circumstances are intensified when I've found that I've been released from something that was hanging over my head with impending doom. Here in this passage in the Old Testament, and we don't often go through the prophets, but there's so much there. And at Christmas time, especially at Advent, we, we reflect on these passages that point to the coming of the Messiah. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is being written by this prophet. His name is Isaiah. And he's writing during a time of Israel's history, which is fraught with problems. In fact, some of you know the passage in Isaiah chapter 6, where it starts out, in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was a good king, one of the few good kings in this stage of Israel's history. And he did good things for the people of Israel and pointed them toward God, and he was dead. And Isaiah knew that the son that was going to take over from Uzziah was a king named Ahaz. And as good as Uzziah was, Ahaz was bad. Think about how you feel when presidential elections happen and it doesn't go the way you want. Well, this is that times a hundred because Ahaz was rotten. Imagine how Isaiah felt as a good king was dead and now this king that's coming after him despises the things of God. Ahaz was not just a bad king, he was evil. He was a king that gave himself over to all sorts of evil practices. So we know in this time period, the Assyrians were the powerful people on the planet, and they had already taken away the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity, and they were being threatened in the southern kingdom of Judah. And this king Ahaz, in order to appease them, swore an oath of allegiance to the gods of the Assyrians. In fact, he took the temple of the Assyrians or the the altar of the Assyrians and put it in the temple in Jerusalem, the temple that was designated to the holy God. And not only that, but he dedicated his own children to the worship of their gods. And he took his own son and put him in a flaming furnace of fire and dedicated to the god Moloch. He gave his own son in a bloody burning sacrifice so that he would get more money and have a little bit of relief and have a little bit of power. This guy was evil. And even this season, we hear a story like that and we can understand it a little bit. As we live in a world that is full of evil, just this week we heard of our government here in the state of California, that on hearing that possibly that Roe v. Wade would be overturned, made a statement that said that we would consider as a state paying money to fly people from other states to come stay here in California, have their baby killed, and we would pay for out of taxpayer dollars for the hotel and the procedure. We'd cover that. And some people stood up and said, that's great. What a good thing to do. And as Christian people who believe that life is a gift from God, we cringe and go, what kind of evil is this? We can understand the kind of evil that Ahaz is dealing with here if we think about it deeply, and it grieves our heart. 
And in Isaiah chapter 7, God comes through the prophet to Ahaz. He still holds out hope that if Ahaz turns to God, that God would heal their land and repent of their evil and, and he would bring his salvation to bear. And he says to Ahaz, ask a sign from me. Ask for any sign, a sign from as high as the heavens. Ask it and I will show it to you so that you know that I am a good God and I will deliver you as a people. And Ahaz flippantly, disrespectfully, says, ah, he makes up a religious excuse. Who am I to ask God for a sign? No. Well, God commanded him to ask for a sign, and he couldn't even be bothered to say, God, do this. Nothing. And God, in his response, says, this is what I'm going to do to you and to your nation. I'm going to use the Assyrian nation like a razor, and I'm going to shave the country of Judah. And I'm going to wipe out you, and I'm going to wipe out these people. And there's going to be nothing left. And in fact, I'm going to let the, the wildness take over this land. And it's going to be depopulated. And you have brought on this curse and this judgment. And yet, in the middle of this horrible-sounding judgment from God, a judgment that was brought on by the wickedness of the people themselves, there's hope. In the next few chapters, we see prophecies that are made. The prophecy that a virgin will conceive and give birth. The prophecy that a king will be born who would deliver the people. The prophecy of Emmanuel, that God would come and dwell with us. And in the middle of the darkest time, the middle of the darkest moment in Israel's history, a time when there seems to be no hope at all, God says, there is hope, and I have not abandoned you. In Isaiah chapter 12, we read these words. In that day, throughout the the Old Testament reading, you saw that phrase, in that day, in that day, in that day. It's a, it's a story, it's a calling to a future hope that God is going yet to do something, that God has not abandoned them completely, even though they have abandoned God, that God has not forgot the promises that he had made. And it says, in that day, you will say, it's interesting here, in the first few verses, there's a you that's talking about a person, an individual. We can read that about ourselves. And in the second section, from verses 4 through 6, it says, you will say, and that is a plural. It's talking about the people responding, the congregation responding. In verse 1, it says, in that day, you will say, I will praise the Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and though you have comforted me, surely God is my salvation, and I will trust, and I will not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has come, become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Think for a moment about why it would be with joy that they would draw the water from the wells of salvation. What are the circumstances of this? In that day, you will say, 
Give praise to the Lord and proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord for he has done glorious things and let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. I want to highlight two truths about joy that we see here in this passage. The first is this. That joy is the result in this passage of trust that is vindicated. Joy is a result of trust vindicated. We see here in verse, verse 1 that God's anger has been turned away. Why is God angry with the people? He's not angry with the people because God just wants to be angry. He's angry because as a people, as a nation, from their leadership down to their priests, down to the person just worshiping God or should be worshiping God, they've all rejected God. And despite receiving what they deserve, he's saying there's going to come a day when you will look and you will see that God has turned his anger away from you and he is not displeased with you anymore. He's saying, in effect, you can come back to God. God is opening his arms and saying, despite your sin and rebellion, despite the judgment that you deserve, you can come back to me. And God has made the way for his people to come back to him through the person of Jesus Christ. San Francisco Chronicle had a heart breaking story this year about a woman, actually about two women, one of them was named Lori Steves. She lives in Washington, and she has three children, and she had three children. And she did not live a perfect life. In fact, much of her young life was addicted to drugs, and she saw her kids go down a bad path, and one of her sons lost his life through a drug overdose. And another one of her daughters lives on the streets of San Francisco. Her name is Jessica Didia. It's a story of this mother who knows that her daughter is missing, who knows she's living in the Tenderloin district of, of San Francisco. She knows that she's addicted to fentanyl and goes out to find her daughter. She sells everything that she has. She loads it up into a little beat-up van and drives to San Francisco and mostly lives on the streets and finally finds a small apartment. And every day goes out to try to find her daughter, who's addicted to fentanyl, living on the streets. She goes and knocks on almost every door and goes to the hotels where she knows that these uh, addicts stay at. In fact, there's a lot of med uh, programs. She, this woman's on several government programs that take care of her food and take care of her housing when she wants it and allow her to continue her addiction while still staying alive. People heard about this daughter. They know her name, but she can't find her. One day she's driving down the street and she sees her daughter. She tries to get her attention and the daughter ignores her, even though she saw her mother. She couldn't get back and find her in time. And so the search continued. And, and finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks of searching for this daughter, just wanting to throw her arms around this daughter with the ashes of her dead son in the car next to her, 
She sees her across the street. She calls out Jessica's name. Jessica sees her. She's not happy. The mother runs over, grabs her, and throws her arms around it. And there's a beautiful picture in the San Francisco Chronicle of the joy on Jessica's face. To have her mother throw her arms around her and show her love. The story is a sad story and doesn't end well. Despite her mother's love and despite the opportunity to get off the street and get into rehab, Jessica continues to live, as far as we know, on the streets in the Tenderloin District, still addicted to fentanyl, still rejecting her mother's love. But we see the love of a mother that throws her arms around her broken child. And we see something about God's love who seeks us out and comes to us in our broken state and throws his arms around us. It says in verse 2, Surely God is my salvation. The word here is, is a word that shows surprise. Like, can you believe it? Can you believe it? God is your salvation. He says, I will trust and I will not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Can you believe it? God has sought us out in our broken state. And if we can put our trust in God, he will be our salvation. This idea of joy drawing out water from a well. We think of the joy that we feel when we recognize that we can be right with God. And despite our brokenness and our sin and the ways we've disrespected and rejected our God, that he still throws his arms around us and gives us hope. And the second a truth about joy we see in this passage is that joy has a result. And the result of joy is in praise evangelized. There's a shift here from the individual to the group, as we mentioned earlier. And in verse 4, it says, In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, and make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. What happens in a believer's life is that when we realize what God has done for us, that joy is not just internalized anymore. That joy has to get worked out. That joy has to get declared. When God does something great in our life, when we realize it and recognize it, it can't be contained and it bursts out. That's why it says it is praise evangelized because it's spoken to everyone around us. We see this over and over again in the gospel account. What happened to the shepherds? It says the shepherds returned from seeing the baby, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told. They went out and told everyone what God had done when they saw that baby Jesus. 
In Jesus' earthly ministry, we see the same thing as he comes to the woman at the well, a woman who had a long and sordid sexual history. She was very immoral. She knew that what she was living, the life she was living, was against what God had wanted for her. She was part of the Samaritan group, which which is kind of a caste or a group of people that would not be acceptable to the Jews, could not be talked to by the Jews. In fact, they would walk around that whole region rather than walk through it and possibly be contaminated by the Samaritans because they did not worship God rightly. Jesus comes to this woman who had a bad past, a broken past, who did not come from the right genetic and, and cultural line, who didn't worship God in the right way, And he reached out to her and showed compassion to her, and she was saved. And it says in in John chapter 4, verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that time believed him because of the woman's testimony. She said, He told me everything that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. The woman had her life transformed. Her praise could not be contained. Her joy burst through. And everyone that heard it knew that something was real about this Jesus. Or look at the story of the man who was full of demons. In Luke 8, 38, it says, After this man who was tormented by demons, so much that he'd cut himself and cry out and no one could contain him. He was a crazy man because of how he was tormented by these evil spirits. Jesus came and spoke truth into his life and healed him and the demons were gone. And this is what happened to the man after it in verse 38 of Luke chapter 8. It says, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much the God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. The heart that has been forgiven, that has been healed, that has been restored, is a heart that must shout out in praise. The joy of Christmas, brothers and sisters, is a joy that salvation has been promised and salvation has been received. And so it bursts out when we recognize that what God has done for us. So this begs the question. If this is true about joy, if it is true that joy is a result of trust that's been vindicated, that our trust in God is not in vain and that he has indeed saved us. If it is true that joy results in praise that it's it's spoken out and evangelizing people, then why is it that so often we don't feel the joy? If you were to pull me aside after the service and say, Pastor Scott, I have a confession to make. This week, I bought a bunch of gifts and I spent more than I should have spent. And I'm dreading the credit card bill coming 
and I actually don't feel joy at all. I'm actually kind of depressed about Christmas this year. Or you pulled me aside and said, you know, Pastor Scott, I'm not that excited about Christmas this year because I'm fighting with my family and we're going to get together and I don't think it's going to actually be a peaceful time and actually I'm worried about conflict that we're going to have. Or maybe you pull me aside after the service and said, Pastor Scott, I'm not looking forward to Christmas this year because I lost a family member or a family member isn't talking to me. Or this is the 20th year in a row I'm going to be alone for Christmas. And all I can remember is the good times I used to have and today is not a good day and I don't feel joy at all. Or maybe you pull me aside after the service and you would say, Pastor Scott, I'm not excited about Christmas this year. I don't feel any joy at all because the pressure that I feel and I'm putting on myself and the desire to perform is so overwhelming that all I can think about is things I can't do and all the failures I have and I'm not looking forward to it at all this year. And Christmas brings me no joy. I only feel lack of joy. Or maybe you'd pull me aside after the service and say, I want to feel joy. I really do. But when I turn on the news and I see all the horrible things that are happening in this world, how could I feel joy? People that I care about are suffering or or people that don't even know about are suffering. And how could I feel joy in the midst of knowing that our world is broken? How do I feel joy in those circumstances? And I'm sure if we were honest with ourselves, that at some point in the next couple weeks, all of us, probably every single one of us would say that one of those things might be a struggle for us. Even in the midst of a time when we say joy and we light candles and we go to church and we do all these wonderful things and it should be a time of great joy, but we don't feel joy. So how do we get back to the joy that we should have because we are drawing from the well of salvation? I think in weird ways that you already know. When I was stuck in bed for 10 days with COVID, and that's one of the reasons I'm with joy, is that I was in isolation for 10 days and I finally got out, and now I'm ready to celebrate. But one of the things I did when I was in COVID is I watched this documentary, and I'm very fascinated by documentaries, and I especially like to watch people who are really good at things do their thing. And there's a documentary that came out about the Beatles and their creating of the Let It Be album and, and, uh, or the, the Get Back album, and watching those guys in the studio create and watching that thing happen got me thinking. And so Get Back is on my mind. Some of you are old enough to remember the Beatles and the song Get Back. I'm not going to tell you to get back like Jojo or Loretta, but I do want us to remember to think about how do we get back the joy that was lost? How do we as Christians live with the joy that was promised to us by God that we should be living in? So there's four, four ways I want us to remind ourselves this year to get the joy back. B-A-C, B-A-C-K. There's four letters. How do we get the joy back? The first is this, that we begin, this is the B, begin each day with truth. In the busyness of the season, it's really easy for us to get on with our life and all the things we've got to do, and we need to stop every morning and begin with truth. What are you feeding yourself? Daily, feed yourself with truth. Open up the Word of God. You can even just 
take your bulletin and look through the scriptures that we read in the morning. You could read them every single day, meditating on them and feeding your heart with the truth. Because most of the things that steal our joy are lies. They're distractions and reminding ourselves that we have so much to be thankful for. Begin each day with the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, and that we have been rescued from sin, and that we have thrown ourselves on the mercy of our God, and that he loves us and he has taken away fear and given us hope and peace and joy and love. But begin each day by feeding yourself with what is true and what is good and what is right. I've learned the hard way that I cannot count on yesterday's nutrition for today's needs. Good athletes know that you've got to fuel yourself in the right way. In fact, the best athletes are extremely disciplined about what they put into their bodies. They know that one bad day of eating too many brownies or an extra slice of pie ends up being like your pastor. That discipline takes a putting good fuel into your body so that it burns efficiently and so that your body works rightly and so you have strength and energy for the task ahead. Well, the same thing is true for us spiritually. If I take a break because I'm overwhelmed, I'm not feeding myself with God's truth, all the lies start coming into my head and I lose track of where my joy should be. Begin each day with truth. B, A, the second point. Acknowledge where you were without Christ. So much of our discontentment and lack of joy is because we forget what we'd be without Jesus' grace. Take the time to stop and acknowledge what God has done in your life. Comparison can be such a robber of our joy. How do we get away from comparison? By acknowledging that we've been freed from so much by God's grace. Acknowledge who we were without Jesus and where we would be without Christ's salvation. In Isaiah chapter 12, he's telling the believers, the faithful remnant, get ready and look because there's coming a salvation. And then that day, you're going to draw up and remember all the good things that God has given to you. We have experienced that. We have tasted of the salvation of our God. We have to acknowledge it. We have to remind ourselves of it. Reflect on where you would be without Christ. And then third, the C, change your perspective through thankfulness. Take the time this season, instead of being drawn into comparison or drawn into a pity party or letting ourselves get sucked into thinking through things that we have no control over at all. To change our perspective through thankfulness of all the things that God has blessed you with. If you look at my life, you could probably think of all the reasons why Scott should be thankful, right? You could. You could say, well, look at him. He's got three of his four kids here with him. You should be thankful for that. And they seem pretty healthy, and he should be really thankful for that. And he lives in a wonderful home, and he has enough money to pay for the heat bill. He should be thankful for that. And you're right. I should be thankful for that. I can think of a million other things that I should be thankful for. But guess what? If I were to come into your life, I could say all the things that you should be thankful for as well. 
The problem is that we need to preach to our own heart about we, what we are thankful for. When we are not thankful, our joy is robbed by things that it should not be robbed by. So change your perspective through the practice of thankfulness. Practice, practice active thankfulness. Get up in the morning. Crack up, open your Bible. Repent of your sin. Remind yourself of what you've been saved from. And thank God that you are not in the situation you were in before. This is what happened in Isaiah chapter 12. They're looking forward, but they're also called to remember what God had done in saving them. B-A-C, and then the last one, K. Keep drawing from the well through praise. How do we keep our hearts fresh? How do we keep drawing from that well of salvation? How do we keep pulling that up and keep feeding ourselves and refreshing ourselves through that well of salvation by declaring the good news that Jesus has given to us? You probably need to program your Spotify or pull out your CD or get out your record player or whatever you happen to do, depending on your demographic and your tech savviness pull out your piano books and get out and remember the songs that cause our heart to praise the Lord. It's okay probably to listen to a little bit of Mariah Carey Christmas, but you probably need to draw a lot more on some of these deep wells of joyfulness and thanksgiving that we sing in our, in our, in our Christmas carols. And keep drawing from that well and let it speak into your heart through praise. You don't have to be obnoxious with your friends and neighbors about what Jesus Christ has done for you. You don't have to say, Merry Christmas, instead of Happy Holidays. I don't care whether you say that or not. But you could have an opportunity to say to your neighbor, you know what God has done for me? God has saved me from so much, and I'm not the person I would be today without Jesus' goodness in me. And I, that's why Christmas to me is such a happy time. So Happy Holidays, and you know that I mean praise Jesus. Let that come out of your mouth. Let it spill out in praise. Find ways to talk about the good things that God has done. Join with God's people and sing out loud, even if your voice cracks. Praise the Lord and keep drawing from that well of salvation and finding our joy through praising what God has done for our lives. Learn to share what God has done for you. This is the result of God's joy in our lives. We just can't contain it anymore. Yesterday, we were at my wife's Christmas party, and a young lady at her work had gone through some hard things. In fact, there's a lot of theft, as you know, in retail, but someone had gone to the extent of breaking into the women's locker room, busting open this young lady's locker, and stealing all of her personal items, her, her iPad and her, her, her wallet with her credit cards and driver's license and a bunch of other things. So discouraging to this young lady who's just barely squeaking by. Discouraging. So discouraging she felt like quitting and just kind of giving up. And they had a drawing at their Christmas party and different people were winning prizes. And it came out of the last prize. And it was the best prize of the night. And her name was drawn. And to watch her excitement and joy of that small thing of winning tickets to Disney World, Disneyland. 
And, uh, but watching also the joy of those around her who knew the situation that she had gone through and saw the, 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 knew the pain that she was feeling and then saw the excitement on her face and they felt excitement too. And everyone was rejoicing together because of this good thing that had happened. It just spilled out and everyone could feel it and see it. That's a small thing. How much more do we as God's children have reason to be joyful this Christmas season? Jesus Christ found us and he threw his arms around us. And despite our unwillingness to be held by Christ's love, he loved us so much that we fell in love with him and we followed him. So how could our hearts not overwhelm with praise and joy? So let's get back. Let's get back to the joy that was to ours the joy that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Begin each day with truth. Acknowledge where you were without Christ. Change your perspective through thankfulness and keep drawing from the well through praise.